always a joy to stand here in this pulpit and to see familiar faces from sometimes a long time ago and some uh, that I've just met. And uh, looking forward to this day. My, my job to do is basically plant a little seed from which the other speak, three speakers can kind of work off from uh, as they speak about the great gospel, the great hope that we have in death in the Lord Jesus Christ. I thought of some verses today, and by the way, I, if I seem to be fumbling up here, my wife had surgery this Wednesday. She became quite ill on Sunday after, after the sermon, uh, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, so she normally types all these things up for her. I've been working on it for two months, but, uh, uh, and she wasn't able to do that. So I actually have to read my own writing, and, uh, and it's not quite as organized. I, I, I thought I'd just read uh, a, a very short portion of the book of Hebrews, the second chapter, inasmuch then as the children, verse 14, have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. And I'll leave the rest of that, that verse for those who speak about the remedy. That's where mankind is, aren't we? We're, we're subject to bondage. We we talk about death, we joke about death, and it, it's, it's interesting to see, and we'll go back to Genesis 3, obviously, very shortly, but it's interesting to see how mankind reacts to death. The atheist would say, well, there is no God, therefore death is just a cessation of physical life, and, and we go back to being what we were before, which is nothing. They hope that works, but it doesn't work. Others, uh, and there's this ghoulish thing that's going on now. I don't know where, where that's all coming from, where actually adults, not children, dress up as ghouls or um, trying to think of the other term we might use for them. And then um, they have parades and everything else to look like somebody that what we might call death warmed over, uh, not understanding where they're coming. But, but it's, it's, it's a way of whistling through the cemetery. We, we remember that term a long time ago. And so, so we, we, we react in various ways. We, we think that we try to, as Adam did, uh, make coverings for our own sin and, and therefore expecting God to accept these because we, we did make an effort and so forth. So, so death is ever on everybody's mind. It is a fear. It's a fear to some more than others, depending on how much we can quiet the conscience. And so that's what I'm going to try to wrap my arms around uh, today. We, we had some wonderful discussions. In fact, we we're thinking about uh, Spencer and I have been talking. He's Spencer Snow is the pastor at Otisville now. We've been talking about getting something like a round table seminar going where we do this from time to time, where pastors can come together and talk about, for instance, the tree of life. Uh, and it's easy to get 
sidetracked on these things in a good way, uh, but not when you have uh, 42 minutes to explain these things. And not, and not to a mixed crowd, don't get me wrong, but uh, because I, I, I understand that there are theologians here, and then and there are all the rest of us, the, the sheep who need to be fed. So uh, we have to, I have to be careful in that, that way as well. I, I kind of got encouraged from, from, I was going to read the program, but we've already done that. Um, Charles Spurgeon, uh, you've heard of him. He said, I have heard of a farmer whose boy said to him, Father, the cows are in the corn. However, did they get there? Question mark. Boy, he replied, never mind how they got there. Our work is to get them out as soon as we can. That is our main business. Then he goes on from that illustration to get the cows out of the corn. How they got there is a matter that can be thought of by and by. And we have nothing else to do. The origin of evil is a point that puzzles many a great, many a great people. But I hope you will not worry your brain over that question. If you do, you will be foolish. But if you are wise men, you will not trouble yourself so much about the origin of evil as about how to conquer it in yourself and in others. And so we we are confronted with things in beginning of the book of Genesis that we have no understanding of because we cannot go back in eternity past. And so rather than to wonder why the tree of knowledge of good and evil was there, we, we pick up basically from outside the garden where we find ourselves, and there's the flaming sword that keep us from the tree of life that had ousted us from the place of fellowship with God where he came and met with, his, with Adam and Eve in a very personal way in the cool of the day. And they had wonderful fellowship with, with him. And he had provided all that they had need of, which makes the fall of the eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil even more evil and even all the more unnecessary. But it's not our, our thing today to look at that, why that happened, and it did. It was temptation, we, we could get it. But the fact is that there is death, and we work back from that. My scriptures today, that was my introduction, my scriptures today, of course, are going to be Genesis, the second chapter, and also the third chapter. And in these two chapters, we have these snapshots of what happened, Genesis 2, the creation of man and, and, and the setting of him in the garden, the giving to him of his wife, not good that man should be alone. And, and, then, he, and then we come to Genesis 3, and it's, it's like a different page, is it not? The rest of the Bible then, from Genesis, the end of Genesis 3, is God working out his salvation in the light of his grace and against the backdrop, drop back, uh, backdrop of man's darkness. He comes, and this is the greatest encouragement, I think, that we can find in Genesis 3. God comes into the garden. Had he not come into there, Adam would be still Adam forever. He always would have been 
hiding from God, covering up, and not seeking out God. We find that today, don't we, when we are doing evangelistic work, we're endeavoring to to talk to people about Christ. We find that man by nature does not come to God, does not seek God, but that God does seek him and them, and he brings them unto himself. And unless he does that, all of our efforts are vain. We cast the seed and and some falls upon various types of soil and grounds, and, and, they, and they, some are productive because God has prepared not only the soil, but prepared the seed specially for them. And so he comes to the garden. So our scriptures are, are set before us here, and I'm, I'm going to, let's, let's read those scriptures. We can do that probably much better for us to read the scriptures than for me to explain them. Let's look at chapter 2, and what we're looking at today, let's look at verse 7 to begin with. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being, living soul. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for the food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then he talks about the river and so forth. We jump over to uh, verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for the day that you eat it you shall surely die. And then the Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air, and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in his place. Then the rib which the Lord had taken from man he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And Adam said, he was happy, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, so she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. So what a wonderful snapshot, wonderful picture of that place that we've never been. That perfected place in perfect fellowship with God and perfect supply from God. And all that the senses would need or desire were there. And then we come to chapter 3. We read, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now that's a question. God said you could eat of every tree. And I suppose he 
checked out what the Hebrew word was for every, I don't know, but he was suggesting to her, he said every tree, and this is a tree, so to speak. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And my question was to some of our men in our Wednesday morning Bible study was, what did they know, what did Adam and Eve know of that word die, death? Had they ever seen anything die? Had they ever seen death? Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. They knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And now we see changes. And Adam and Eve, and his wife rather, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. That is not stopped among, among fallen men. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. I hid myself. And he said, God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? And the man said, The woman whom you gave me to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle more than every beast of the field on your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life and i will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed and he that is her seed capital s he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel Woman, he said, I would greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception and pain. You shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. We read that in chapter 2. To dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And note, also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, 
Behold, a man has become like one of us to know good and evil, and now lest he put out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out, out the man, and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And so we end this reading of the scripture with Adam outside the garden. We began with them the garden being made for Adam and Adam placed there in every sense that God had made in Adam to enjoy life and enjoy the things of life. All of those senses that were fulfilled in the garden are going to be difficult outside the garden. And so he sits there or stands there with his wife and the garden is closed and the flaming sword is there. He cannot get to the tree of life. And he understands at that moment what death really is. I wanted to just, I, I have time. Um, 12, right? Where's, where's Pete? 12 was it today? No, 11. I'm sorry, Pete. I wanted to throw out a couple of theologians here because I, I wanted to appear intelligent, but uh, Witsius uh, was a Dutch uh, theologian, and it's always good to quote Dutch theologians, so I'm doing that. But he has this, this, good, this good quote, and he, he defines death in the first, first it is of, it is most obvious that by that term, that is death, is denoted that bad disposition of the body, now unfit for the soul's constant residence, and by which the soul is constrained to a separation from it. Secondly, by death is here understood all that lasting and hard labor, that great sorrow, all the tedious miseries of this life by which life ceases to be life and which are the sad harbingers of certain death. And thirdly, death signifies spiritual death or the separation of the soul from God. And fourthly and lastly, he says, eternal death is also here intended the preludes of which in this life are the terrors and anguish of an evil conscience, the abandoning of the soul deprived of all divine consolation and the sense of the divine wrath under which it is miserably pressed down. And then there was another Dutch-trained theologian who I happen to know, uh, Spencer Snow. He said, a rough definition which I thought for death is, death is comprehensive separation from God with all of its consequences because of man's refusal to trust and obey God's word. Which brings me to the third point. There's only four, so there's an encouraging thing. My thoughts about the picture of death from Genesis 2 and 3 and especially 3. When we, when we come to that point at the end of Genesis 2, there, there's something within that chapter that brings longing to our hearts. We really desire the Garden of Eden, don't we? We really would love 
to be in that place so that there were no rushing to the hospital, no, no, no physical problems, no death, no funerals, no, none of the things that, in all the things that uh, in, Genesis, or in Revelation tells us that uh, are history in that day. But we, 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 we desire that. And, and so we read Genesis chapter 2, and, and it's, it's very briefly, don't know how long it was, but it's the good old days. There's a song, and you'd have to be my age or older to remember it, and I think it, it came out of the 20s, and it was called When We Come to the End of a Perfect Day. And perhaps Adam and Eve, when, when, when Adam saw Eve and, and God brought her to him in, in marriage and, and he looked upon her, and, and of course she was the best-looking woman in the world, she was the only one, but she was, she was perfect, she was beautiful. And, 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 and he was probably the only one, though we sing these songs, I don't sing to my wife, but, but, um, but we, we listen to these songs. We were meant for each other sure as heaven above. Remember that one? We were meant for each other to have, to hold, and to love. You had to grow up in the 50s to, to hear that one, but uh, you, 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 it was the name of the song. And, and probably for Adam and Eve, or, uh, that, was, that was the only time that that was absolutely that perfect. We were meant for each other, sure as heaven above. Uh, we were meant for each other to have, and to hold, and to love. And so the end of that perfect day at the end of chapter 2 of Genesis, that was the good old days. I suppose in the 930 years that, that uh, Adam lived, and he lived, I think, right up to the point he died before Noah was, bo- Noah was born, but all the other people were there. And old grandpa probably often talked about the good old days. Back in the day when we were in the garden, he's the only one, he and Eve, the only one who who understood, who knew the tremendous tragedy. We, we assume what it is. We understand to some extent what it is. But he knew when he was driven out of the garden what it used to be. And probably the only old guy that ever should use the term back in the day. I'm sure at his 900th birthday with all the generations gathered around him and and the candles on the cake we won't get into, but I'm sure, I'm sure he said something like some of us are saying. It seemed like just yesterday I turned 500, and now he's 930. And so, or 900. It, it, but all that is gone. All that is, is taken away. That was the good stuff. That was what God had made us for, prepared us for, put us into that place in the garden where God would meet. And God is always, and he does that in the church, you know that, a place, a meeting place with man. And so we're driven from that. And they no longer have that. At this point, I should say something like, all right, put all your books under your desk. We're going to have a test on the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Let's see what that has to say about these things. What special act of providence did God exercise toward man in the estate wherein he was created? The answer is, some of you probably know this or have retained your memory to that point. 
When God had created man, he entered into a covenant of life with him upon the condition of perfect obedience, forbidding him to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil upon the pain of death. Question 13. Did our first parents continue in the estate wherein they were created? My answer would be, look around you. Of course we did. But the answer here is, our first parents, being left to the freedom of their own will, fell from the estate wherein they were created by sinning against God. Luther's bondage of the will comes to mind. What is sin? Sin is any is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. What was the sin whereby our first parents fell from the estate wherein they were created? The sin whereby our first parents fell from the estate wherein they were created was their eating the forbidden fruit. Did all mankind fall in Adam's transgression? covenant being made with Adam, not only for himself, but for his posterity. All mankind descending from him by ordinary generation sinned in him and fell with him in his first transgression. Into what estate did the fall bring mankind? The fall brought mankind into a state of sin and misery, wherein consists, slap there, wherein consists that sinfulness of that estate wherein man fell. The sinfulness of that estate wherein man fell consists in the guilt of Adam's first sin, the want of original righteousness and the corruption of his whole nature, which is commonly called original sin together with all actual transgressions which proceed from it. We used to call that in our tulip, I suppose we still do, don't we? Total Depravity doesn't mean that we're as bad as we could be. God restrains us. But it means that every part of our being is permeated by sin. What is the misery of that estate wherein man fell? All mankind by their fall lost communion with God, are under his wrath and curse, and so make liable to all the misery of this life, to death itself, and to the pains of hell forever. Not a good story, is it? But we, we are not of the opinion because we read the scriptures, because we believe these scriptures to be the word of God. We do not believe that a person outside of Christ is better off to leave this world of suffering. This is indeed for them the very best of any life. And so we, we, we see from the scriptures, what death really is. Um, I, I just, I thought, I want to let you out too early because that's bad for the other speakers, you know. They, 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 uh, but uh, if I was a deacon, as as I, or deacons, I would be out there making sure the coffee's about ready at this time. Genesis 3.15, I just throw this out there. Genesis 3.15 uh, I, I, there, there's direct scripture, and then there's the direction of scripture, uh, in, in my thinking. There's a direct scripture in, in 315 that, that is said in the presence of the man and the woman, but said to Satan, to this to death itself, himself, this murderer from the beginning, uh, said to him, from this woman, this back to death, be not proud, 
you you think and Satan behind the scenes and be not not unknown to God, but we we won't get into that. Uh, but but behind the scenes tempts this woman, and through her he seeks to destroy the image of God in mankind, because he hates God. He's the enemy of God. He gets nothing from this other than the satisfaction of punching God himself. And so God says to him in the garden, this woman that you that you have deceived, that you thought you had destroyed from her seed shall come the champion. And he'll take you out. From her, this seed, capital S, from her seed, we know what that is, and I don't want to get into Doug's sermon here, so I, I'll, I'll stop there. But we know who that seed is, don't we? And this seed the, from the woman herself, from this weaker vessel as it appears, that you tempted her offspring, this one seed, this champion, will destroy you. And then I read further. And all of the all of the calamities that God is speaking about that have now come upon these people who have sinned, Adam and Eve. We see a verse, and it's verse 21. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skins and clothed them. I grew up with during World War II, my heroes were all that greatest generation. And there were Navy guys. I didn't have anybody in the Navy, but there were Navy guys uh, who, who had um, pea jackets. Remember those? They, they were made out of wool. They were quite thick. They were, I think, a dark blue. And uh, you, get, you get wool by shaving sheep. Then there were the fly guys, the, the, the Air Force guys, and they had sheepskin jackets and coats because they flew up there in really cold temperature. The difference between, they both come from the sheep, but once you take the sheepskin, there is no more shearing of the sheep. And so in my mind's eye, I see God in the midst of the garden, in the midst of all this confusion and and condemnation, he catches a couple of the sheep or the goats. The, and I, I say sheep because that becomes the sacrificial animal through the direction of the rest of the scriptures. And he takes them, perhaps two sheep that were very close to Adam and Eve. They were all pets at that time. And he kills them in front of Adam and Eve. And skins them and takes their skins, their bloody skins, and clothes Adam and Eve with them. That's what it says here. And for the first time, God said that, first, first of all, he said, you eat that tree, you're going to die. What does that mean? Condemnation comes, you ate, you're dead. What did that mean? When he took the sheep, he took the animals and slayed them in front of Adam and Eve and took their coats and covered them not with the fig leaves of their own making but the righteousness of another innocent being. And the shedding of blood and the taking of life, certainly that was a picture 
directive. That, that direct quote here is directed throughout the rest of the scriptures. And God will provide himself the sacrifice. And he tells Abraham, God will do this. As Abraham told Isaac, that is, God will do this. And the covering that Adam put upon himself was a desire to cover his sin so that God would not see it. It was hiding. And yet on the other hand, God made these skins for the very same reason. That Adam might be covered and Eve might be covered so that God himself would not look upon that sin or would not see it. And so the promise of a champion we read later on in the Bible as we go through, and I left you guys, the other three guys, 66 books almost, minus three or chapters, but the rest of the whole book is, is a picture of what God is doing to bring his son into the world and what man is doing hiding from God. And then we have, we have verse 21, and of course all the sacrificial system. Abraham, we see him. How do we identify Abraham? By his tent and his altar. And all of these things are pointing to the fact that there must be a substitute of righteousness, a substitute of death, and man cannot, mankind cannot put that himself. There's a song that I heard before often this little little uh, gospel song I guess it's it says something to the effect I am covered over with the with the robe of righteousness the father gave to me I am covered over with the precious blood of Jesus and he lives in me oh what joy it is to know my heavenly father loved me so that he gave to me my Jesus Every time he looks at me, he sees not what I used to be, but he sees Jesus. And that's our hope, is it not, in there? That should be the end of the sermon, but I've got a couple more minutes. The last part, number four, that I wrote down, by the way, I had four separate ones that I had done over two months, all written out, and I cast them aside. Those lasting and unfading consequences of the fall. Let me just go through this. Another good friend helped me with this outline. In fact, I think uh, the, the, Dutch, the Dutch trained uh, theologian, <laughs> Pastor, Pastor Snow, who was my, um, followed me out at Otis then, good friend of mine. Um, we kind of talked about these things for quite some time. The doctrine is death is separation from the favor of God. And that's what we see, Adam and Eve outside the garden. Everything was ideal in there. Everything was perfect. Everything, there was no, nothing that was unpleasant in that place. Spiritual separation, separation of the soul from God. We read that in the scriptures, our souls are alienated from God. Our souls are hostile to God, Colossians. Our souls are dead apart from God, Ephesians 2, 2, 5. In fact, I had that... Set, us, set aside here to read Ephesians. You, you remember that second chapter that, that tells us these very things. And he made, in you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. 
sitting outside the garden, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air and the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, just as the others. Verse 4, first three words, but God. God came through the garden. God, God came into the garden of your life if you are in Christ, if he is your Savior. He came to the garden of your life and interrupted your course towards destruction and gave you new life. Spiritual separation needs spiritual reconnection, and only Christ can do it. Then there's not only spiritual separation, there's total separation. Separation from any and all good in God and from God. Now, I remind you, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And God is good uh, to, to all people. That, that is, we, we have food to eat. He does not owe us any of these things. He didn't have to come to the garden. And after he came to the garden, he could have drove man out. And he could have executed that death penalty that they were under at any moment. For Adam, the final part, the soul died immediately. We see their actions. That's a dead soul. And then 930 years old, he, he dies physically. So it's total separation from any and all good in God. Separated from God, from the gifts of God. There's no limit to this separation. Because at, or God is infinite, he enjoyed infinite fellowship with God. That's all gone. To replace that, we need something infinite. And then there's eternal separation, separation that will exist forever. We've sinned against God who has no beginning nor end. Separation ends when God ends, when he does not end. And then there's this permanent separation, which sounds like total separation, but it's different because separation that will never change. 10 million years from now when those who are outside of Christ are in that place of darkness and destruction. There will not be a preacher come along and offer that great salvation that is found in him. No preacher will come along and no person will come along and recite John 3.16. There is a loving God who in his Son has purchased salvation for all who will come to him and repent and believe. None of that. There is no hope. It's a place without hope. God promised them an unchangeable communion with him. If Adam kept the law, Adam did not keep the law, he said. And then, if we were to go into the depths of all of this, we won't, because my time is up. We find God today, or man today, where Adam found himself outside the gate. Lost and undone, not knowing what to do, having no, having no pockets in his, in his spiritual robe at all. He has nothing that he can do for himself. He's broken and bowed and needing a Savior, but not acknowledging that need. That is, as the scripture says, dead in trespasses and in sins. 
And he sits there and he's visualizing there the flames, the, the angels, the, flame, the flaming sword, the, the, the utter helplessness. He can't go that way. He can only go out here into the world alone. God did not leave him alone, by the way, but God had a plan, of course. The rest of the Bible reveals how man and God deal with death. Man continues to cover up and hide, and we make jokes about it, and we do various things about it, and we pretend like it's not there. When it happens, we shut it out of our conscience as best we can. And yet God launches at that, at that point, launches his foreordained plan of vicarious redemption, revealing its light progressively against the backdrop of man's darkness. In the fullness of the time we read, God sent forth his son and dug this up from the heart. This is hard to end at this point, but we will, because for the gospel preacher, for the, those who know Christ as their Savior, uh, we want to say the rest of the story. We will uh, after our break. Let's pray. Our Father, we... We shudder at death. We, we find it incomprehensible because we were not made to die. You created us as your eternal companions. You created us to sit forever around your table. You created us forever to, to be uh, in fellowship with you and to enjoy all the wonderful things that you have prepared for us. And in Christ, we look forward to all those wonderful things. We do not look forward to it here. There is yet a river that we must cross before we come to the river where the tree of life is. And so we, we expect death, and we, we know that it is our portion, our physical death. But thanks be unto God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ that we are safe and secure in him that he has not only paid the penalty of our sin, but he has also earned for us righteousness so that when you look upon us, Father, you see him. And with that, we're content. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Thank you. Uh, Pete, has, I'm sure, has something to say here.